And now, an ode to Hunter Johnson. Let him throw, let him throw. Hey there, we're the Westlap Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Major, major props to a friend of the pod, Cat, for putting together that amazing uh, let it go, uh, let it throw rendition. Um, just uh, um, amazing work. Thank you so much for that, Cat. And and we should add that wasn't even something that we requested. That was something that uh, she put together on her own. Fantastic, sent it to us. If that if that's not um, indicative of a of how talented uh, our alumni base and our listener base is, um, but also the fact that Northwestern Nation is very much on the same page right now. Uh, I don't know what is, but uh, yeah, thank you, Kat, for your excellent work. We're all stuck on the North Mountain in a horrible snowstorm. <laughs> Ref- reference. How many of us have young yeah, girls? Yeah, we have kids. Yeah, yeah all, all three of us have young daughters, and we, we've seen that movie many, many times. I think I know every word. I, I We could probably do a pod of just... Us reciting Frozen. Um, yeah, but that we are not going to do that. Than, that might be are... more interesting than what happens Friday night. I don't know. Well, I don't know. We are not as talented as Cat, so. Yeah. That, very true. Very true. Uh, yeah, so Ohio State uh, coming into town this week, um, Friday Ooh, night. Uh. Yeah. Well, let's, um, hey, can we, let's start with the good news. Yeah, good news. Um, my briskets are resting in the fridge right now. They're going to the sous vide pot as soon as we finish on this podcast. I will be hitting the road at roughly nine in the morning on set on Friday a.m. I'll be arriving in Chicago, grabbing an extra parking spot in the uh, South Golf lot, and we are doing a, we are doing this tailgate right. Absolutely, we've got our good friends from the Winning Cures Everything pod coming up from the Memphis area to uh, join us uh, at the tailgate. Join us at the game. Um, it's a celebration, little- people. Yeah, and this is – please, if there's any time to come find us, we're going to be making an afternoon and an evening of this in the South Golf Lot. And like I said, with, with good friends and good company uh, and plenty of food. Yeah, so come out and find us. Um, yeah. Yeah, South Golf Lot, look for the red pirate flag. Um, we will be there. It's it's going to be a good time. Um, also good news, Northwestern's going to be pulling out the Gothics for the first time in a couple of years. And I, I have to say I am a – Big fan of that. Those those look really really sharp, and um, this year's version looks really good. Did they change it year to year? Yeah, they they did. Um, I know oh. the first year they had, uh, I believe, purple numbers, and then uh, with gold trim, and that that looked terrible on TV. Um, and so the second time they pulled them out, it was gold numbers. Uh, they've tweaked a little bit, um, some of the striping a little. 
um, you know, really try to highlight the numbers so that they're they're popping a little bit more on the screen. Um, so I had no idea they changed them. Yeah, they're it's new unis. We're going to be looking really pretty. And when so Sammy, when does the South Golf Lot open? Four hours before kickoff. So 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 from three thirty Central until the first time you see Northwestern come out of the tunnel in those beautiful uniforms, we are all going to have a wonderful time. That's what I'm saying. It so I promise four hours of real enjoyment. From three thirty to seven thirty, oh one, oh two, and change. I think a great time will be had by all. Yeah, so you know, Ohio State's coming in um, top four. You know, some people like That's him at number one. Them short, yeah, yeah. Like th- there's there's some rankings that have him as high as one, depending on uh, what which mythology, which methodology, or um, you know, what rankings, uh, definitely, you know, among the top, I mean, you could easily put them in the same sentence as Bama or LSU right now. I, I'm sorry, Clem, Clemson is not in that sentence. No, it's, it's those three. Yeah. It's Bama, LSU and Ohio state in some order and Ohio state very well may be the best team in the country. It's, yeah. they may well win the national title. This is how good that team is. Um, we didn't put up the, uh, we didn't. I didn't rerun our summer preview of Ohio State this week, um, but suffice to say, that's one of the big surprises of the Big Ten. I mean, we Scuzz certainly outlined, you know, the talent that was on this team, and I outlined all the talent that was on the defensive side of the ball. But I mean, whatever your spectrum was for the best possible way this team could have rebounded after last year. They have hit that one percent threshold. They are absolutely dealing. Well, there's 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 two very critical and obvious factors, and then there's like an intangible one I've been talking about for the last few weeks. So the first two big factors, and, and we said this in our in our preview, is that we weren't we weren't Jonathan Fields believers. Justin Fields. Justin Fields believers. Who's Jonathan Fields? Anyways, <laughs> we were not Justin Fields believers. Um, we needed to see it to believe it. And I, I believe it. Yeah, I believe it now. I mean, the guy looks amazing. Um, now, has he been tested by by a really good D? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe. Like you, you could you could argue that Michigan State um, is a really good D, and uh, and and you know slowed up this Ohio State team to start the year. But I, like, he's been really accurate. He's been great throwing the ball. He's been really great running the ball probably more importantly like the guy just looks the part right now he is in control out there this is his team um and he's got the eye of the tiger and that like that sounds like i'm a talking head but the reality is like he has come in and given ohio state stability and um focus and confidence in a position that has been frankly a big question mark since 2015, um, which is crazy to say, right? But they won the national championship in 2015. They came back the next year, and there was a there was a controversy between JT Barrett and Cardell Jones, and they've kind of never figured it out. And he has come in and changed the dynamic. The other thing that is so true, we again we talked about this in the podcast. We didn't know how it was going to play out. Ryan Day cleared out the defensive staff and pretty much replaced just about everybody. Um, that was a really good move. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, to uh, to you mean to extinguish the dumpster fire? Yeah, that was pretty good. Pretty pretty smart move by him. Um, yeah, yeah. Greg, there, Greg, Greg Madison in particular, and the defensive line with Chase Young, like they look they looked anemic last year without without Nick Bosa in terms of pass rush, like surprisingly given their talent level, and like they look electric now. Absolutely, um, and so with with all that said, um, I think to your point, one of the things that should have any NU fan worried, and to, you know, to everything you said about Fields, I think Pat Fitzgerald had two big quotes in this week's press conference about Fields, and um, the first was, "He's a rock star person. We were blown away with him out of high school. Just a stud of a guy." He's playing outstanding football, and he's taking it to the next level, just being explosive with his feet and being smart with that. The second one was we'd heard a lot about him. We'd watched him on film. There's a lot of poise from him. He's smooth. He's a good decision maker with the football. The ball is a nice spiral every time it comes out of his hand. No one throws a better ball than him, uh, and he makes the right throw in every situation. So... It's a scary situation, and it's, you know, we've got to really buckle up. The good news is um, both of those quotes weren't actually Pat Fitzgerald talking about Justin Fields. The first one was, the second one was the head coach of the Elite 11 camp talking about Hunter Johnson. And you're damn right I'm going to go there again. Uh, And you're damn right we have to go back to this well again before we can talk about Ohio State, because this same narrative was trotted out again this week about Aiden Smith, who, as things stand right now, uh, we've seen the depth chart. It's Hunter or Aiden going to start in this game. Um, and they, like in terms of is it going to be Hunter, Fitz didn't exactly throw water on that with his comments relative to the Nebraska game, when he basically was like Aiden's experience in the program was the reason that he played against Nebraska. And boy, I mean, it's, I mean, we've been up and down this mountain. I know, I know we've been up and down this mountain a couple times in the past couple of weeks, but allow me to just present this scenario. Let's say that, Hunter Johnson never transfers from Clemson and TJ Green never gets hurt. Um, And up until this point, our offense is still a dumpster fire. And if A, you think it wouldn't have been a dumpster fire with TJ Green as the starting quarterback and B, you think me saying that is an indictment of TJ Green, you haven't been paying attention this season because it's neither of those things. Uh, But assuming that it was still this awfulness that we've all had to endure with T.J. Green as the starting quarterback, Northwestern Nation right now would not only be clamoring for Aiden Smith as to take over as starting quarterback, we'd also be wondering why Aiden Smith had had not been the backup quarterback up until this point uh, during the Clayton Thorson era. And I'm not saying there's, you know, that I know the answer to either of those questions. It could legitimately be either way. Um, I'm saying that's not the point. The point is that 
the response from the coaching staff in this hypothetical situation would be something along the lines of, Aiden may have more raw talent and more raw arm strength, but TJ's the one with more experience in the program, and we've chosen to go with the more experienced guy. You see how that works? It's just a shell game. It's Aiden in the real narrative, the narrative that exists right now. Aiden is like the experienced sage. But if we weren't in a situation where Hunter Johnson had been tra- had decided to transfer here, it would just be presented as, well, Hunter, you know, might have more upside, but he's lacking that experience in the program. Um, it's all just smoke and mirrors for the situation that's going on with our offense right now. And again, I don't know at the end of the day if Hunter's going to be the starter Friday night or if Aiden's going to be the starter on Friday night. I believe they are both great quarterbacks, but this notion that there's a relative experience or lack of experience or comfort in the offense is just not something that any of us should subscribe to. It's not the reason our offense has been the mess this year. It, it feels like that's just code for decision-making. And, um, you know, we talked a lot earlier in the season about how it doesn't feel like the offensive coaching staff is helping Hunter with decision-making. Um, I think it's also true that the scheme, the, the, you know, the way Mick McCall tries to make things easier for his quarterbacks is to just, you know, shorten the playbook and, shorten the the parts of the field that we're attacking and you know i like this is this is a vicious circle and you know i know that there are fans out there that think we should bail on hunter and go with aiden i know that there are you know to your point john like the the hypothetical aiden tj green conversations that could be happening right now like i think i think we all miss thorson i think it's also really important to point out and this is this is a really interesting thing going in this game coming off of a bye week to see what the staff has done. I'll be honest. I am expecting exactly what we saw against Wisconsin, frankly, um, in this game. But our offensive scheme changed this year from last year. Clayton Thorson and Trevor Seaman before him were pro-style QBs with some mobility. Not a lot. <laughs> um, maybe more earlier in their careers. I mean, Trevor did ran, run a four four forty, But anyways, <laughs> uh, point being... Their job was to drop back, make their progressions, climb in the pocket, and make a strong throw. There were plenty of times, because of the deficiencies on our offensive line, that Mick McCall rightly would try to move the pocket, roll them outside, have them throw on the run. It was never a strength for either of them. This year, we have shifted to much more of a spread concept where you've heard John say things like, Sprint option right, sprint option left. Hunter's speed, his ability to throw on the run, has allowed Mick to go back to the offense he prefers. Can I just in, can I just interject one thing before you go on here? Yeah. Just because I picked this up. When you're juxtaposing Justin Fields and Hunter Johnson, and you're trying to and you're thinking in terms of okay, fi- these are five star quarterbacks, right? athleticism, ability to throw the ball, but also ability to make plays with athleticism. I just want you to know that of Justin Fields and Hunter Johnson, who both attended the Elite 11 camp in separate years, 
one of those guys was shuttling back and forth on flights between the Elite 11 camp and his state's track and field championships because he was part of a state champion record-setting relay team. And that guy was not Justin Fields. It was Hunter Johnson. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good point. He's, he's, he's fast as hell. But, you know, when, when, when Thorson snapped the ball, it was about which receiver is open. And Mick McCall was scheming guys open. I've heard a lot of people criticize our wide receivers. Oh, our wide receivers can't get open. They can't get separation. Bullshit. That's been true for years. Last year, we would scheme guys open through mesh routes, uh, through back shoulder throws. Like, there are mechanisms. There are ways to do it. Um, The air rate is predicated on reading how defenders react to uh, receivers that allows you to find openings. Now we don't run the air raid, but you know, and, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that our wide receivers are blameless in this. Cause there's certainly been some drop passes and, you know, separation has been a problem for years for Northwestern as well. But the, like the offensive staff has the tools to address this. But when, you know, when going back to my, my, my point, when Thorson snapped the ball, it was about which receiver is open. If nobody's open, I'm going to maybe try to buy some time. And then maybe I'm going to run. He was always better when our running game was working. He could play action, etc. We've now moved away from that play action, reading, you know, progression read, pro style offense, and gone back to the spread style offense, which is much more about quick reads coming off of a read option. So, Hunter's faking the handoff, or or. You know, putting the ball in the belly of whether it's Bowser or, or or Drake Anderson, he's reading a defensive lineman or a linebacker and trying to understand is there going to be a hole. He's simultaneously trying to read if if his primary receiver route is going to be open to shift from run to pass. But he doesn't have to make that decision all at once because if if the outside contain guy is is crashing down. Hunter knows he's going to have a running lane. He can start to run outside. He can again change his mind. Here's the problem, is that it appears, and this is true for Aiden Smith as well, it appears that the way they have been coached is to come off of that read option and immediately look at the receiver who has stepped, you know, taken a step backwards off of the line of scrimmage. If you go back and watch the last few games, like, Every every pass starts there. It's just it's just little passes to the out. It's barely a pass. It's barely a pass. It's like a negative one yard pass, and then we're expecting that guy to, to run up field and gain some yardage. And, it, and it's our, pa- passing in in the form of a running game. Yep, or running other, game in the form of a passing game. Yeah, and our other receivers are blocking. However, through this mechanism, we are never stepping back to attack the middle of the field, and. For whatever reason, we are not looking at the rifts that you can do off of that. So once the defenders start to come creep up and crash forward because they know that that little outpass is coming, you run a double move. You send somebody up the field behind them. You send a wheel route. You have a tight end sneak out into the middle of the field behind everyone. We're just not doing that stuff. And A question I have. um, Do you think, I mean, our our superbacks this season have not been anywhere close to where they've been in years past. Are, is that something that we're missing? You know, the, like, I think of just the, you know, any of our, any of our tight ends the past several years, the, you know, 10 yard turnarounds, the 10 yard crosses. I mean, that, that's just not there. There's, there's no re, so, 
yes, but um, here's the here's the most telling evidence as to why that's a problem for us. Before he got injured, we were playing Bennett Skoranek as a super back on mm. probably half of our offensive sets. And most of our targets for him were in that super back mold. Now, he got injured, and I don't know if things have looked worse or if they already looked bad, but um, but yeah, that's a hole. You've also seen Berkeley Holman trying to make some of those catches, um, and a number of times getting interfered with in, in those little turnarounds over the middle. I think it's also safe to say that Hunter has probably been late on some of that stuff. It's just you know kind of seeing it late, et cetera. But w- at the same time, like there are other, there are other options. There are slants that you can run. There are you can put a receiver in the slot and then run him into that same spot. Like it doesn't have to be a superback, right? And that if I think about the like the shallow crossing routes that um, that we ran on mesh ra- on, on mesh plays, like even if we're calling those, we're only throwing to the outside guy as he's going to the to the sideline. Go go back to Stanford. Go back to UNLV. We were we were hitting fifteen yard out routes. We were running guys downfield, and, and I just like we seem to have moved further and further away from that as as we got concerned about Hunter's ability to make those reads and read the defense and call protections. It's like okay, well, get the ball out quick. Get the ball out quick. Scale it back. Don't don't run that variation. Only only run this variation and. All those variations are within five yards of the line of scrimmage, and we've become super easy to defend. And I'm, I'm, I'm really worried we're going to see that same thing. If we do that against Ohio State, they're going to beat us forty-five to nothing. Like, like we will not move the ball against this defense. It's the, it's the best defense we've seen all year, uh, top to bottom. And we have to bring something different to the equation. Absolutely, and I think that's one of the problems. Is yeah, just I mean, you talked about that. There's been a shift in the scheme, but there's this lack of ability to turn on a dime in terms of like adjustments and, and changing based on what you've got going on. And I think one of the, you know, random things I've thrown out, I mean, we already talked about, you know, for people who are kind of harping on separation and separation issues and the defense ability to, to get open. If you want to go down that route, ask yourself how many times Kyrick, Triple J and Berkeley Holman have all been on the field at the same time. Those are all our fastest guys, Um, and you don't see it happen. I mean, it's like we are – I mean, Riley Lees is entrenched with Skoranek out at the top of the wide receiver pecking order. Um, And, you know, if you're looking for a long explanation for how that works – Scuzz has laid out some pretty effective underpants gnomes artwork that I encourage you to check out <laughs> on the Westlot Pirates Twitter feed. I'm not, I don't mean to throw Riley under the bus, but in his case, he, it's all compounded by the fact that he's been a ret- our number one return man for no real notable reason other than that our coaches got locked in on him at some point and they do not unlock from things. And that's the point. Um, and that's, that's where I'm going is like, like said, super back's a problem right now. So you can either try to manufacture a super back with Skoranek until he gets hurt or try to kind of jury rig it as best you can, or you can just go away and be like, well, well, one thing we do have is more speed across our wide receiver core than we've had in the past. Let's work with that and see what we can get. Um, 
But I mean, it's like, it's the same thing. It's like difficulty adapting to change. These are all the things we've been harping about for a couple of weeks. I will say, discuss this point about Ohio State's defense. One really important thing for everybody to know um, is we, when we talked in the summer, we talked about the fact that Ohio State's defense is a stupid amount of talent in terms of raw talent. The recruiting stars, the amount of five-star guys, let alone four-star guys on this defense, is just absolutely ridiculous. And it was that way last year, too. But one of the interesting things that you realize is when you look at the, how, you know, the paucity of points Ohio State's been giving up, and like Scuzz said, they haven't really been tested, but they've absolutely obliterated the teams that they've played from a defensive perspective. But then if you look at the stats, it's pretty much what it was last year. Chase Young is getting all the headlines. Chase Young got all the headlines last year, too. He was by far their best defensive player last year. Um, They're maybe getting a few more turnovers this year in terms of interceptions than they were last year. But statistically, when you look at the numbers, you're not seeing a big variation right now. As things currently, this team's on pace to have its leading tackler have 64 tackles at the end of the 12-game regular season. Um, The difference is they're not screwing up this year. And if you're looking for an endorsement of Ryan Day, that's the endorsement. It's these guys are basically statistically performing relative to how they did last year but they've got their heads screwed on straight this year. So you've got a bunch of guys that are absolute Cadillacs on this defense with crazy athleticism who are making the plays they were making last year. And there's probably an uptick in the level of plays that they're making, but they're not screwing up. They're not lazy. They're not missing assignments. They're not blowing coverages. Um, and it's a defense that basically, in other words, is not going to hand us gimmies on offense. Like, they're not, you know, like, don't be looking for, like, pump and goes. Don't be looking for busted coverages or broken plays where we break something off. It's just, they're not doing that this year. And that's, you know, as worrisome as anything. I I, I think I talked about this maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Their, um, their penalties per game are way down this year. The, right. During the Urban Meyer era, they were close to seven penalties per game. They're down in the fours this year. Um, I just this is the intangible thing I alluded to earlier. Like whether it's a new voice in the room or a lack of all the distractions that came with Urban Meyer, or that Ryan Day is just that damn good. Like they are they are dialed in in a way that I have never seen Ohio State dialed in. And when you go back, you know, I was pulling up Winsipedia. To look at the Northwestern Ohio State, you know, matchup over the course of my time, and we've, you know, we've we've held our own a lot of times. Like we lost by uh, twenty one in the Big Ten Championship, but you know that was that, that was a, that was an Ohio State team that, that by that point in the year was was firing on pretty much all cylinders, but only by only lost by four in 06. We all know about twenty thirteen where we really only lost by three, um, and Coulter probably got the first down. Uh, couple blowouts in, in 07 and 08, you know, early and, and 06, early, early fits years. Those, those were tough sledding. 05 was a blowout. 04 was the big win that where we beat them. Uh, 03 was a tough game at Columbus. We lost 20 to nothing, but in 02, that was, that was the other year they won the national championship. We almost upset them at home at Ryan field. So like this, this, 
the wins and losses are lopsided, but it's not like Ohio State blows us out every time we play them. But I'm I'm concerned given what we've seen from Northwestern this year and the and the fact that Ohio State just looks like they're operating on another level relative to to all those teams. Maybe not since like '98 when '98 uh, '97 when it was uh, like Joe Germain and uh, David Boston that just ludicrously talented Ohio State team was that um, Eddie George as well. Yeah, I think I think that's yeah like same era. Uh, I mean that's when Ohio State was like like. I mean, they're pretty close to Alabama now, but that's when they were really like Alabama. Um, and like, I don't know. So I like this, this team is this, this, this is a daunting task for us on Friday night. And I'll be honest, like I'm coming to this game. I'm really excited, but I got no, like no expectations. I just want to, I just want to see a little bit of improvement from Here's, the crap I, we've seen in the first four weeks, last four weeks of the season. I, I want to say, as long as you're mentioning the nineties, uh, because if I'm going to try to erect a picture of of a potential positive situation Friday night, Sam, you dug up a stat uh, relative to the 90s and relative to the spread of this game. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the last time Northwestern was this big of an underdog, tw- uh, we're right now we're 20, 28, 28 and a half points. Um, last time we were a 28-point underdog, uh, was week one of 1995, uh, when Northwestern went down to a little town in Indiana and, uh, stunned Notre Dame, uh, for the first win in the Rose Bowl season. So, I mean, that, that's, you know, apples to chestnuts, you know, as far as comp, you know, comparisons there. R- Rick but, Meyer ain't walking through that door. No. Yeah. Well, here's, so here's the thing. I, I will, like, Yes, obviously, all of this is true. Um, we've we've meticulously mapped out the fact that there is a hurricane on its way to Evanston. Um, I will say this, and piggybacking off of what Sam just said, um, and the fact that the last time we were this big an underdog, we won. Um, if you were trying to make a scenario. For a titanic upset no one saw coming, this would be a pretty good recipe for that scenario. Um, and here's my thinking on that. Most of the time when people think of titanic upsets, they think of something like um, USA hockey beating the Soviet Union in the Olympics, right? A bunch of like plucky underdogs who if they run that back a hundred times... Um, they're, you know, 99 more times, they're not going to win, but that time perfection comes together, etc. That's not the usual template for a massive upset. The usual template for a massive upset is something more like Mike Tyson versus Buster Douglas, right? You have a guy who is massively more talented, but he's complacent for whatever reason and has gotten sloppy and has put himself in danger unbeknownst to everybody else and on the other side you don't have a plucky underdog you have another massively talented figure who for some reason is not performing up to that talent so in this case you know in Tyson's case it was a really shoddy work ethic and he was constantly out of shape in our case uh, it's Mick McCall in case you haven't been listening to our pod for the last month (laughs) Um, the so In both cases, it's important to understand, right, that 
there's a really easy to envision scenario where if our offense is competent, I mean, if you just say of all the offenses breaking in new quarterbacks in the power five this year, um, can we be somewhere within the statistical mean of the average performance of those offenses? I will be more than happy to let you shade us toward the negative side of that statistical mean. If that's our offense, there's a really good chance we're four and one right now and maybe five and oh. And then that team is getting the very best Ohio State has to offer. But not only are we not that team, the week after Ohio State plays us, they play a team that several members of the Westlot Pirates think is a fantastic football team. And Ohio State will more, more than likely be looking ahead to that team. So if you're looking for Ohio State's guard is down, they're looking ahead to the Badgers, um, and somehow, I don't know, again, discusses underpants, gnomes thing, I, I don't know what step two is. I'm just saying, somehow, we just make some changes on offense, because I don't think any of us really believe this is a talent problem. Um, and there it is. And then the third factor is a, you know, a buttload of luck. So there so it is. The the biggest, you know, a couple reasons why I, I think that might not happen. I mean, I would love for that to happen. The problem is, you know that Ryan Day has looked at last year when Ohio State went to Purdue and got beat. Um, year before when they went to Iowa and got beat. Uh, both of them night games on the road. Uh, against teams that they should have walked all over, um, Ryan Day ain't gonna let that happen again. You know, you, you got to think like their their focus is every game one at a time, and you know they do that. Sure, they they could be looking ahead to to Wisconsin next week, but they had a bye week last week as well, so they have they've had two weeks to prepare. And, you know, you got to think that, you know, the first year under day, they're not going to come in complacent on this. I, I'd be, I would be surprised. I'd be very pleasantly surprised, but <laughs> yeah, I'd be, I'd be surprised if that happened. Look, so, I'm, look I'm trying. I'm trying. Okay. I know. I know. <laughs> and I appreciate it. No, here, I mean, here's the thing. Like, right. Like to, to all the points you made, John and, and Sam, your counter is, is spot on. Like, like the idea of Northwestern winning this game is, is pretty out there it's 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 a it's a pretty far cry from what we're likely going to see the idea that northwestern keeps this game respectable i think is extremely plausible when we've played ohio state at night at home generally we've given them a really good game and we know that they're more talented than us um in other years in 2013 they they certainly weren't taking us lightly we were undefeated right game day was there yeah um same deal in, in, you know, in 2002, they won every game by a very small margin, but, um, but we probably gave them the biggest scare out of it outside of anybody, uh, that wasn't Miami in the national championship. So, um, you know, the, the, the fact that they play Wisconsin the next week is, is, is a really good one. In some ways, the buy, like, that can knock teams off their rhythm. Like, I, you will never convince me that Northwestern can't play with another team. I, you know, I, I think, um, if we put our best best foot forward these days, like we have enough talent on our team and enough good players, uh, especially on the defensive side, to 
to hang to hang with squads. The the the, the problem comes when we you know we we put out this um, ancient offense or incomplete offense that uh, they can't do anything and and we run out of gas in the second half, right? But I I think it's very plausible that I mean, wouldn't it be peak fits to have been saving a third of the playbook for this game? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but that's like, you know, I, I, biting I off your that, face to spike your, you know, biting yeah. off your nose to spite your face. Oh, We're totally. One it'd, be the, four. it'd be the stupidest goddamn thing ever. And I like, and of, and of course he's not doing that. Like, of course he's not doing that. But, um, you know, Northwestern players have a lot of pride on the line coming into this game. They've had two weeks to regroup and, and figure out their stuff. You know, like we put the fear of God into, into Ohio State in the third quarter of the Big Ten Championship last year. It was a one-score game, and we got a turnover and had a chance to uh, to really give them some collective apoplexy. Like, like that, that final score line was 21 points, but Northwestern was in that game and legitimate, and we belonged there. And we've had basically one major change in our team, and it's at the most important position on offense, no doubt. It's at the quarterback. Um but we also know that, you know, it was running game and defense last year that carried this team into that game. And, you know, good play by Thorson when we needed it. To your point, John, if 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 all this if McCall calls the game of his life, which he's probably done twice against Ohio State previously, and Hunter plays the game of his life or, you know, it, like comes out of his shell in some way, shape, or form, like there's, I mean, there's a chance. I, you know, again, I'm going to this game with no expectations. We're just going to have a good time. We're going to enjoy, you know, celebrating Northwestern football under the lights and what that means to us in the in the, in the framework mo- mostly of tailgating and good friends and you know all the fun that we've had in this stadium in the past. But um, there's a, there's a chance we see we see a special performance from this team too. The the other thing too and. You're right. I think the the expectation, not the expectation, the hope is not even necessarily that we play Ohio State close. It's that we see something. Yes, yes, 100%. Something, something that indicates that changes are being made. And we know the change that we want. And, you know, maybe at the end of the season we get that change. But we... We know that regardless, we need to see some sort of scheme change. Maybe we've got, maybe we get Hunter back and maybe they let Hunter do some things in this game. And, you know, and it's less about scoreboard, about making some things happen because this is the pivot point. Okay. As crappy as things have gone, after this game, we get Iowa, a fantastic defensive football team that has played three good defenses this year. And Iowa is averaging about 10 points a game offensively in those three games. Iowa State, Michigan, Penn State. And if you think our defense is not right in the thick of those three defenses, I mean, stats back it up. We have one of the best defenses in the country. So Iowa's a good football team. They are a Big West contender. They are not an offensive force. They do poorly against good defenses. The pivot point starts there. Now, again, yeah, we'd all like some miracle scenario, but we want to see something adjusting. 
because after Iowa, it flips. Uh, unless you are snorting the Michigan, the Minnesota cocaine, uh, <laughs> which a truth, lot of a lot of people are. A lot of people are uh, not on this pod, but the pivot point starts with the Iowa game. You get a team with a fantastic defense and not a good offense, and then you get a bunch of mediocre football the entire rest of the way. Mediocre to bad football. Um, they're all games we can win. Um, you know, it's like talent-wise, based on our projections at the start of the year, six wins out of six games in that stretch is not out of the realm of question. It's execution, and that's we want to see a pivot point in terms of execution in the Ohio State game. And, you know, if you want to hope, don't hope for a win. It's unreasonable, but hope for some evidence that we're seeing that. Uh, real quick before we move on, I saw an article today in The Athletic um, that, that talked about how you know, Ohio State ha- you know looked back a- as they developed into the behemoth that they are, um, that they were looking back at the Northwestern offense of 20 years ago. Um, and that's the Randy Walker, Kevin Wilson era. And, you know, it, it's so, it's such a bummer to think like how cutting edge the Northwestern offense was at that time. And, you know, where, where we've gone since then. And like, you've got Kevin Wilson at Ohio State now, you know, using a lot of the same concepts, obviously concepts have, which have been developed, uh, throughout, you know, throughout the years, you know, expanded on, honed, refined, tweaked. Um, but you know, a lot of those concepts that we just don't use anymore offensively. And it's, you know, it, it was a bummer to read that article. I, I highly suggest you take a look. Uh, Bill Landis, uh, from the athletic, if you, if you got the subscription to the athletic, which you really should, uh, fantastic site. Um, they're not a sponsor, but we love them to be, uh, just, I mean, it, it, it's a great article. You, you, so, so Sammy, I, I won't, I won't, you're not wrong about any of that. Um, however, I do think that there's a key distinction and that is that. So for those who don't know, um, Northwestern basically touched off the spread offense, um, prolif- pro- proliferation in college football in the 54 51 game against Michigan in the year 2000 because it was a nationally broadcast game in prime time on ABC. Uh, and this was back when not every game was on television. Uh, oh man, we're old. Anyways, point being like, the, like the big takeaway from that was that Northwestern proved that a team with vastly inferior talent can use scheme to beat a traditional powerhouse. The problem is that that scheme is now being widely deployed by the powerhouses as well. I think that's much of why you see like an Alabama and a Clemson that have just so dominated everything the last few years. So the the other thing that's important to remember is that while we had an incredibly innovative and, and prolific offense in those days, our defense was non-existent. Sure. And... 
it's 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 funny because you see this every week. People are lamenting like, why can't we have the old offense we had? I th- th- we've talked about this on the pod. I think even two weeks ago we talked about it. Like, there's there's no reason that you can't have both a good defense and a good offense at the same time. But at a school where resources are limited, you know, I'm not saying that we're picking that we're that we're picking our poison. I, I think what I am saying is that we've got it. We still have one elite unit. Like 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 bemoaning that we don't have the offense of yesteryear is a little bit incomplete because we also don't have the defense of yesteryear. So, I like. I I don't know. Like take take that for what it is. Maybe maybe that's me just being being a little bit salty about it. But I think like what's it is it is very frustrating frustrating that that our 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 offense is so poor and that we've seen the likes of Urban Meyer and Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day take those concepts to much greater heights than Northwestern was able to achieve. Um, I won't, I won't argue any of that. So, you know, what my big takeaway from a lot of this is, uh, you know how many years Kevin Wilson was our offensive coordinator? Two, two, two. Was it worth it? Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a good point, John. Oh, God. Ages 37 to 39, we caught an ascendant guy who happened to come over from Miami of Ohio with the late Randy Walker. Um, and we we got him. We, we happened to luck into a guy who was lightning in a bottle. We got him for two fantastic years, and he followed the rising star onward and upward. Happy trails. It was beautiful while it lasted. Um, that is, that's really the, the reasonable and attainable goal. Um when it comes to offensive coordinators. And the other thing, you know what I remember about the 54-51 Michigan game? Michigan staying in base scheme and yep. getting obliterated. Yep. I just remember them, like Lloyd Carr or whatever, being like, we've got the talent to handle this. And it was like, no, you don't. Are you just going to stay out there? Like, that's your plan? 4-3? Th- Base four three against this. Uh, uh, I, th- I think Michigan might still be struggling with that, John. But yeah, uh, but yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's that's the other thing I forgot to say is that like defenses have also adapted and 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 changed dramatically to address those exact spread concepts. Right. So it's like you know, it's the, the themes, embrace of change, ability to to catch ascendant people, and you know when it comes to offense trade. Shorter tenures for big ideas, etc. Um, yeah, it's it's where we are. But again, it's like we wish certain we wish we could have certain things. We'd love to be able to climb into that time machine, um, at least from an offensive perspective, not from a defensive perspective. But this is what we've got, and you know, again, um, we we have done everything we we could to bemoan where McCall is right now. But Scuzz brought it up. Uh, Ohio State is a team he has done well against historically, and you never know. Maybe we we get one of those games, and it's just the spark we need to start turning things here. Yeah, it, for, for those I, of you who are going to be watching on TV, gird yourselves because at some point the announcers will compliment him on his play calling. Right. <laughs> I yeah, I I do see like if if we do something, it's because our defense generates points on their own like that that's something that we haven't seen so far this year maybe you know not nearly as much as you know we need like 
the defense, if we can get the defense to actually generate some points, pick six, uh, scoop six, you know, we ha- we haven't necessarily had that this season, and I, I think that would make a huge, uh, huge difference if if things go the way we hope and wish that they could go. I, I that would be, I think, a key factor. I'll say this to one other thing that that is important just to throw out a laurel to our defense um, and relative to what they're going to be facing. I mean, okay, again. This J.K. Dobbins, Justin Fields monster. I mean, I what? I mean, what is there to say? I mean, good luck. But I will say that you know when we were thinking about the summer and categorizing teams, um, and I have to say we did a pretty good job of of saying there's the UNLV Nebraska Ohio State wing. We know what they're going to try to run, and it's going to be brutal to try to stop it. The defense did a darn good job of handling that against Nebraska. Um, lost in the whole mess of that game was that um, they they handled it. They shut down Nebraska's offense. Now, you remember a couple of those plays to Wandell Robinson, but that was not read option kind of stuff. That was gadget plays um, that were really well called and well executed. But when it came to the read option and Ohio and Nebraska trying to run the base of their offense, they were unable to do it. Um, and our, de- I mean, our defense for what, like four weeks now has been getting better every week. So, um, I, yeah, they'll be ready. It's a massive test running that read option concept. You know, we know we saw the problems in the UNLV game. It's, I mean, this is that on, you know, to the 10th power with what the, the speed they have at every position, the ability they have to, to run that, that look with Dobbins and Fields. But our defense is really, really getting better every week. And uh, I think they're going to be up to it. I do want to uh, move on and kind of whip through uh, last week in college football and you know, briefly highlight some of the games this upcoming week. Going through the Big Ten slate last week, um, you know, you, we briefly mentioned Wisconsin shutting out Michigan State thirty-eight to nothing. Uh, Penn State, Iowa. A- any big takeaways from that seventeen twelve Penn State? I think Iowa is. Um is everything that I thought they would be on offense coming into this year. Yeah. I, you know, I'm still kind of wondering whether, I mean, first of all, I believe it's totally possible that, uh, and again, I know we're going to go down this road, but um, I think after Ohio state, there's just this massive log jam and I either Penn state or Iowa, I think could easily be the, the best, the second best team in the big 10. I just don't know who that is. I just think that the conference is in so much flux and is such a mess right now. Um, that I could, I could not disagree with you more. <laughs> I I know, I know, I know you can't wait to get there. Um, I, let's just say I have, uh, I believe that Iowa and Penn state have, have not exactly have, have not exactly had the magic horseshoe fall in front of them the way that other teams in the big 10 have to this point. Uh, I, I don't want to get into this conversation because this would take another 45 minutes or so, uh, debating the merits of Wisconsin. Um, I know we, we discussed this in great detail before we hit play. Um, but you know, I, you know, I am with Eric on this one. I, I think Wisconsin is, is fantastic and, you know, they haven't had a situation where they've needed Cone to win it in the air, but, you know, thirty-eight nothing over Michigan State is nothing to sneeze at. 
Yeah. And, uh, well, you're you're baiting me. They <laughs> did need a situation where he had to win it in the air. That was the game. Uh, yeah, and, the, and he, that thirty-eight and he, nothing is a mirage. Well, he won it in the first quarter and a half. Um, he won it on on three of the first four drives. I so I I'll put it this way, and I think I think we can agree on this. Well, I guess based on what you just said, John, you don't agree with this, but I I think there's a gulf between Ohio State and Wisconsin for sure. I think Ohio State is the class of the conference. I don't think anybody, including Wisconsin, is going to challenge them, but. I think after Wisconsin, there is another big gulf. And the, the the reason being, Wisconsin's got two really good units. Maybe they're not elite. Maybe they're not top five. Maybe they're not top ten. We can debate that. I think they are. But they've got two really good units. Penn State's offense and Iowa's offense, who oh boy. I just they, they they ain't doing Wisconsin shit on anybody right now. They've got good defenses, but coming into the year, we knew that they had problems, and those problems are manifesting. And the fact that Iowa has looked piss poor against those against uh, Penn State and Michigan in you know back to back weeks, like when they play Wisconsin, they ain't gonna do much. And I think I, I that that'll be the test maybe of of how good Cone can be. And but here's the deal, like. Their defense isn't as good as Michigan State's. I think he'll do exactly to them what he did to Michigan State. Here's but here's the thing though. Let's take this exact same team, um, that exact same Wisconsin team, and you put them up against the Michigan team we thought we were going to get this season, and the Northwestern team we thought we were going to get this season. Isn't the exact same Wisconsin team that you're describing right now? Doesn't that team have two losses? And then they're ranked in what the low teens? No, I Again, think they. I think they have one loss. I because I, I think I think the I think <laughs> what we thought Michigan was going to be was really flawed, and I think Northwestern has just historically been a really good matchup for Wisconsin. It's it's an underrated situation. I think we're going to beat Iowa. That's well. So again, I so my my whole thing. This was my allusion to the horseshoe. Um, I think Wisconsin's a very good team. I think they're a very good team in the model of the Wisconsin team from two years ago than the Wisconsin team that trotted out the first half of last season. Great defense and a great ability to run the ball and competent quarterback play that if it must decide games for you is hit and miss and more miss than hit. And I think given all that and given Jonathan Taylor and everything, I think Wisconsin is capable of being an excellent football team. I believe that they are solidly one of the top 15 teams in the country. But I think Michigan was just is this absolute disaster on offense right now. And their defense is great, but it's young. And Wisconsin caught them at the exact right time when that defense was making big mistakes, well, as John, they did in that game. If Michigan's defense is so great, how did Illinois score 25 points against them? Yeah, well, I mean, the the thing is, right, it would help Wisconsin's case if Michigan had rebounded since that game. But Michigan, good God. Lucky Michigan, they Michigan got... held Iowa to three points. You think Iowa has a potential to beat the, Wisconsin? Uh, the, God, I, I, I'm... Uh, I'm still trying to wipe that Michigan Iowa game from my memory, Scuzz. That was that Iowa was... has a really shitty offense. Here's the no, last no, 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 the last no, no, no. The, the, you, you missed so, one oh, thing. No, no, is... no. So here's here's no. I'm not disagreeing about any of that. 
And if you're if you want to talk me into Wisconsin being the second best team in the Big Ten, it's totally possible. Um, I think the second best team in the Big Ten most likely is Wisconsin or Penn State or Iowa. Um, it ain't Iowa. Um, nope. I, I again I Penn State the, just won at Kinnick. I, I they never it win at Kinnick. It can't it can't be Iowa. Well, but Penn State and Iowa have played each other really close the past couple of years. Again, I'm not uh, it's it's all still up in the air. And again, I my whole point is the two of the three biggest surprises of the Big 10 season are Michigan being as much of a mess as they are. And by the way, that team is a mess. 7 and 5 is on the table for them. Uh they like they're transitioning to the hard part of their schedule now. Um and the other part is our, you know, probably the bigger part is our total just disaster. Northwestern's total disaster. No one around the nation had any idea anything like this was going to happen. And not only did that keep us from beating Wisconsin amongst other teams, it also gave Michigan State a chance to post a fantastic and misleading performance against Northwestern. Um, that made the rest of the country forget that they can't score points against good defenses. Um, and then they just failed, completely failed to show up against Wisconsin. So again, it's like, I totally believe Wisconsin could be the second best team in the conference. I just, they, I believe right now they should be 12th or 13th with a loss to Northwestern and, and they'd be properly rated. But as it is right now, they're sixth looking up at, you know, five teams that to me are just on another plane. Um, but you know, I, this, this is all a long way of saying it's Ohio state and just a giant ball of whatever in the rest of the conference, the exact kind of situation we would have been in fantastic shape to take advantage of. Um, but there, here we are. Um, Going back to last week, uh, Indiana shut out Rutgers 35 nothing. No real takeaways there. Uh, Purdue, uh, 40, Maryland 14. Um, yeah, talk about two teams hard to get a, uh, a, a read on. Boy. And, uh, I don't even want to mention the this Minnesota and Nebraska 34 to seven Minnesota wins. No, no, here's, here's the thing. Like, we said it last week, or at least yeah. I said it last Did you week. Li- yeah. What, like, has anyone been listening when we said Nebraska sucks for the no, past, like, year? Well, specifically, Nebraska is bad at run defense. And Minnesota's really good at running the ball. Like, right. this was as predictable as anything. Um, I'm actually really mad at myself. I didn't bet on it because I saw that Minnesota's favored by seven. I was like, oh, they're going to destroy them. Like, this is, this is what Minnesota does. They have a, a, a gargantuan offensive line. And they just steamrolled these guys. They ran the ball 49 times. And they threw the ball 13 times. It's amazing. I mean, I, I give the Gophs credit, you know, and I, for, for PJ and what he's going to be able to do with the national profile. Good for him. But this team plays four awesome run defenses. And it's their last four games of the season. And so, like, there was always a chance of an 8-0 start for them. And not only are they doing it, they've done it by the skin of their teeth, but you can't take anything away from them. Like, they've done it, and clearly it's made them more confident in their approach against these bad teams. They're going to erase Rutgers uh, this weekend. 
And then they get a Maryland team that's so trick-or-treat, it's hard to even know what they are. Um, and then they get a bye week, most likely to sit pretty at 8-0 and and feel just so good about Minnesota and Minnesota Nation probably ranked around like 15th or so. Um, and then they're going to host a, a Penn State bandsaw that they're going to get fed into. But up until that point, um, it's it's a magical time to be a gopher. So this week, um, just run, running through the schedule, uh, obviously our game on Friday. Uh, Saturday at 11, Wisconsin at Illinois. Wisconsin a 31-point favorite. The, the, this is going to be another Wisconsin shutout. I'm telling you, this defense is elite. Yeah, I mean they're they are they're awesome. And again, it's like yeah, the it and and to to the to Illinois' credit too, Illinois has managed to score some points. Um don't take anything away from the Illini. I mean, well, take everything away from the Illini. Screw the Illini. But they scored 25 points in a row against a young but talented Michigan defense. Um and with all that said, yeah, they're probably going to get stoned. Wisconsin's great. I don't, I don't think Wisconsin's going to fall asleep at halftime like Michigan did. Michigan was up 28 nothing in that game and fell asleep for a while and then was like, oh, it's a three-point game? Oh, we better score another 12 points and shut the door. Uh, you got Purdue at Iowa. Iowa an 18-point favorite. Oh, boy. That, yeah, that, that seems big. I mean, I, I just... seems gargantuan. I, 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 I mean, Purdue's a, a garbage fire on defense, but I just don't think Iowa's got enough offense to to do anything like that. Iowa uh, well, has Iowa has not scored uh more than 18 points against a Power 5 team all year. Yeah. Unless you include yeah. Rutgers and I don't. Yeah, here's the thing. I mean, don't I Iowa is yeah, they've I mean, Iowa's led their season against some good defenses and do not lose sight of the fact that Purdue's really bad on defense. This team gave up 38 points to Minnesota, 34 points to TCU, 34 points to Nevada, 35 points to Penn State. That Maryland game is a total aberration, and it's not really apropos of anything. Um, I would say, though, that they're, you know, I give Brom a lot of credit. I mean, the Penn State game, that's at Penn State dealing with major injuries. Like, they were going to get destroyed in that game. But you're talking about a team that's had to deal with major injuries to major, you know, players. And he's putting up bucket loads of yards with a backup quarterback right now. Um, And, you know, with that said, it's going to be a major test for them heading into Iowa. But considering what they've lost, I, I give them credit. But I don't know. I still, Iowa's defense is, I mean, Iowa's defense is basically Penn State's defense. Penn State's defense gave up seven points to this team, so I don't know. Uh, We mentioned Minnesota at Rutgers. That's, you know, great. Those games, like, shouldn't even count anymore. No. I I mean, the amount of how many games this season is Rutgers not going to score points because it's adding up. Uh, Indiana at Maryland. Indiana, five-and-a-half-point favorite. God only knows what's going to happen in this game. Yeah, like Maryland no. might show up again and be great. I like it's just weird. But. No idea. And then uh, Michigan at Penn State. You know, so I, this is this is I'll a nine you, this is a nine point spread. 
So they have Penn State by nine? Penn State by nine. Oh, boy. I mean, it's... This is a game that Penn State certainly, like, their offense isn't perfect, and it has its issues, and we've talked about those issues. But they can score. Michigan has shown no evidence that if it's not Illinois or Rutgers, they can score points. Um... And I, I mean, again, I like Penn State deserves those nine points. And I'd say the most likely scenario here is a close Penn State win. The second most likely scenario is a big Penn State win. Um, this is again, Michigan has kind of shown to this point that they are a deeply flawed football team. And now they face a bunch of teams in a row that are going to want to punish them for that, starting with Penn State. Michigan's or Penn State scored 17 points against Pitt and 17 points against Iowa. I I can't imagine them scoring more than 17 against Michigan. I think this game's like 17-13 or maybe <laughs> 20 to 17. Sounds about right. Like yeah. So looking around the country, um and anything jumping out at you? Just, you know, scanning through I'm I'm interested by this uh, Florida South Carolina game um, only just because South Carolina coming off the big win at Georgia. How Spe- how high are they riding? Speaking of um, crazy upsets that nobody saw coming, yeah, yeah. I I'll tell you I'm pulling so hard for South Carolina in this game, um, and the reason is in what four weeks. They play as their, of all these SEC teams, their random late season non-SEC game. In four weeks, South Carolina plays the currently undefeated Appalachian State Mountaineers, who between then and now have Louisiana Monroe, South Alabama, and Georgia Southern. Um, And they're ranked 24th in the country, App State. And App State could get to 8 and 0 and have a massively important game against a South Carolina team that is that you know would have a serious pedigree and you know most likely get pasted by South Carolina but what if they didn't uh what is the ceiling for an app state team that pulls a win that big that late in the season but for that to happen South Carolina's got to keep winning out so South Carolina, sorry, congrats for beating Georgia. Your success to me only matters in terms of Appalachian State. <laughs> Any other big games y'all are looking at? You know, I I hate to talk about Baylor, but you know, just to, without you know raising the hackles of Eric there, but they're undefeated. You know, Matt Nobody Rule cares. is a hell of a coach. Nobody cares. You know, the the program should go to hell in a handbasket, but Matt Rule is a good coach. Those fans don't deserve him or those no, certainly wins. not. Certainly not. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like they've he's he's turned around the unturnaroundable. I hope he leaves. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as humanly possible. Uh, Arizona State, Utah could be fun. Yeah, Arizona State's another interesting one. Um a team that last year we left for dead when they hired Herm Edwards and They've really been quite respectable. They beat Michigan State twice. Uh, I they knocked off. I think they they 
dispatched Washington State pretty handily last year. Like they've got a good defense, they got a young QB. Like they're doing stuff. Like I'm impressed. Um, in another theme of our podcast this evening, I'll also highlight that Herm Edwards seems to be doing the CEO thing especially well and staying out of his young upcoming coordinators ways. So, sorry, too Shot, soon. No, 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 Shot, no. Shots, shots fired. Yeah. We, we got. I, I got you. I, I feel you there. John, anything uh, jumping off the page at you? Um, no, not really. I'll throw Dartmouth at Marist out there. <laughs> My hometown, Dartmouth Big Green, are uh, taking all comers right now. Um, I can't even think of the last time Dartmouth went undefeated all the way through the Ivy League season. Marist is, I know, not an Ivy League team, but Dartmouth beat the crap out of an undefeated Yale team last week. Um, and uh, they're currently kind of steamrolling toward, I think, four weeks from now. They have what currently is an undefeated Princeton team. But that's just me way of saying most of you won't care about that. But uh, uh, Dartmouth Big Green, my hometown team, are seem to be about as good as they've ever been right now. And what some people, I think I read somewhere, said was arguably the best defense in the FCS, which for an Ivy League team is basically unheard of. So, so at least I've got good defensive football in my life. That's what I'm saying. Here's one that, that I'm definitely going to keep an eye on. Um, you know, talk about, you know, turning around the unturnaroundable. SMU. Uh, you got SMU Temple. Temple's had some, you know, really good wins this year. Uh, they're sitting at five and one. SMU's undefeated, sitting at 19th in the country. That, that'll be a fun one to kind of keep on the back, in the, on the background. Big, big offense versus big D. Where's that game? It's in, uh, it's in Dallas. How fun is the AAC this year? Really fun. Tulane, Cincinnati, SMU. Um, Temple. Yeah, Temple. Like super fun teams. Like one of these teams might go to a major bowl game. Um, I mean, that uh, right now I think right the, the AAC champion, if one of these teams can stay hot <clears throat> and make it out with one or zero losses – um, probably, you know, Fiesta Bowl, et cetera, mm. is in play. But Boise's sitting at 14th in the country right now. They, yeah. They, Boise would Maybe. have to lose. But the good thing is, I think with the AAC being up, you know, a bunch of these teams are going to get a chance to, to play each other and do some damage. I, I know, like, I think in one situation, right, I think if Tulane <clears throat> and Cincinnati, for example, both win out, um, that'd be two, what, 11-1 and one teams playing each other in the conference championship game. So... Um, that's, you know, it's, it's certainly possible. I just like that, you know, the AAC, the much maligned AAC has three or four, you know, quality teams this year. All right. Well, um, unless there's anything else to, to mention, um, come to the South golf lot this Friday night and find us. We, you know, we love talking to you guys. We just love hanging out. I know you guys have your, you know, your gripes. You want to talk. You know, like I said, we have, we have dedicated fans of the pod sending us unbelievably choreographed musical numbers with excellent production values, etc. Um, we know that these, you know, these same people, and of course we know Cat because Cat's told us, you know, exactly how into NU football she is, but we know the rest of you feel the same way. Come to the South Golf Lot. Um, the Red Pirate flag is going to be there. We're going to have a lot of food. We're going to have the winning Cures Everything guys with us. It's going to be a good time. Come hang out with us. 
So let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Um, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates. And you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Slot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skousby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.